Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Advocates say recent budget cuts will have a negative impact on those seeking mental health services in Connecticut. The state's new $19.7 billion budget passed by lawmakers last month includes funding cuts for statewide mental health and substance abuse treatment programs. Today, Where We Live, we'll find out how state agencies and private providers are grappling with those reductions. Most will take effect July 1st. We'll also check in with the governor's budget office to see how Connecticut's worsening budget problems will impact services in the future. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. You can comment on our website, wmpr.org slash where we live. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Do you rely on local treatment programs for mental health or substance abuse treatment? Give us a call. Let us know if you're worried about how the budget crisis will impact the programs you rely on. Uh, Now, we know the State Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services provides services to adults in Connecticut, but the agency can't do it alone. It contracts out to dozens of private providers around the state. We wanted to find out more about how nonprofits work with state agencies like DEMAS to provide outpatient mental health and substance abuse treatment programs to residents. We've invited Luis Perez, president and CEO of Mental Health Connecticut, in studio to help us understand the system better. Hi, Luis. Welcome to Where We Live. Good morning, Lucy. Thank you very much for having me and for bringing this uh, important issue to the forefront. Tell me more about your organization. Who do you serve? We are a over 100-year-old organization founded by Clifford Beers in 1908. Uh, and uh, Clifford was really one of the uh, fathers of advocacy in terms of mental health here in Connecticut. And then nationally, uh, the year after, he actually uh, founded the uh, National Council on uh, Mental Hygiene. Um, since then, uh, we have uh, expanded to provide community education uh, as well as uh, providing services across the state. And how many people do you serve in the we, state? We serve uh, uh, about 4,000 individuals uh, throughout the year, uh, both through referral and uh, resource information as well as through our employment, uh, residential, and uh, educational programs. And can you uh, just explain to us, like historically, how when we talk about mental health programs and substance abuse programs in the state, how are they funded? Funding for uh, mental health services primarily comes through uh, the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. However, one of the issues that uh, when looking at uh, budget cuts is that there are many siloed uh, funding streams. So the Department of Children and Families, of course, uh, provides uh, behavioral health services for children and adolescents, but also the Department of Corrections, the uh, Community Services uh, Division of Judicial, um, DSS, Housing uh, Department, as well as the Bureau of Rehab Services all have funding streams to support individuals in the community. DEMAS uh, is... uh, uh, has a system delivery uh, system that uh, both employs state-operated organizations as well as private nonprofit organizations to provide services for the residents in, in Connecticut throughout the regions. And so when we hear the administration say that funding has actually increased for um, 
Demas. Um, but that doesn't take into effect some of the, the grants and the contracts that are going out to nonprofits such as yourself that provide services uh, to uh, people in the state. And, and, and that's correct. I think that uh, one of the major issues right now, uh, of course, we have not heard, uh, and hopefully we will hear uh, later uh, from Secretary Barnes about uh, the back of the budget cuts. Uh, but so far, what we have seen is a huge reduction in terms of substance use beds, uh, as well as outpatient services for people seeking um, services uh, on an outpatient basis. Um, that gets compounded, uh, of course, these cuts get compounded by years of underfunding, and in particular, um, having Medicaid rates that do not support uh, the services and the cost of doing services. So we are very concerned at Mental Health Connecticut that the access to individuals who desperately need these services in a system that has already uh, been underfunded will be um, detrimental. Can you talk about um, how a person, um, if they're struggling with a mental illness, um, substance abuse, or co-occurring, they have both a mental illness and um, addiction issue, um, how do they hear about organizations like Mental Health Connecticut? How do they find these these nonprofits to help them? Well, of course, uh, people can always call uh, Infoline at 211. Uh, people can also, there's a variety of uh, referral uh, sources, uh, such as our line, but also uh, in terms of calling uh, the their local mental health authority and seeking services directly from them. One of the biggest issues is, is that, uh, again, um, because we have made great strides at uh, uh, addressing the uh, duly diagnosed population in terms of substance and uh, mental health issues, um, there still remains a divide uh, in terms of the funding streams. Mm -hmm. So often uh, when people are seeking substance uh, use uh, services and there's an underlying mental health uh, uh, condition, uh, sometimes those services are, are hard to find. And so how many nonprofits are in this, the communities? Do we know? Is there a, so we don't know. So we'll find out. We actually reached out to the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, or DEMAS, to join the show, and they um, declined. And so we'll be hearing again from OPM Secretary later in, in the hour about um, why certain cuts were decided upon. Um, but you mentioned earlier, Luis, that... Um, over the years, we've seen these funding streams getting smaller and smaller for nonprofit providers. So how does that impact relationships with agencies like DEMAS? So as we strive, of course, to do the right thing for the people we serve, um, it puts great strains on, on board of directors, on administration, and on providers in order to be able to meet those needs. Uh, we're seeing people coming in. Uh, of course, you know, we are... Uh, uh, we go into this line of work to to be able to help people. So, uh, unfortunately, there are bottom lines, and there are um, we need to live within our means, just like the state is facing right now. Let's be fair. I mean, mm -hmm. the state does need to live with it within its means. And what we're hoping to do is to be able to partner and be able part be part of the solution, not just have it um, handed uh, over. Uh, we feel very strongly that um, because we have the pulse in the communities that we serve. Uh, we are best uh, equipped to be able to inform uh, some of the policy. Um, it is unfortunate that we have gotten to a place where fiscal policy is driving um, public policy rather than the other way around. Uh, and we would like to, we are where we are, mm -hmm. let's get over this as, 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 uh, uh, as well as we can so that we don't impact all uh, of Connecticut's residents. But at the same time, we need to start looking to the future and see how we can... Um, 
uh, prevent this from happening again. Um, when we talk about mental health programs and substance abuse treatment programs, um, can we talk a little bit more about the demographic, about who are the people served? Uh, I know this is like a general term uh, when we think about, okay, we have people out there who need services, but who are they? Who are these people? Yeah, uh, and, and there's a variety of, of, of people, and unfortunately, um, the, it goes almost by, by age brackets. We had um, the institutionalization in the 80s, so there are still people that uh, left um, institutions uh, that closed, um, and they're in the older bracket. We have the mid-range uh, of uh, ages in terms of people who have um, been in and out of the um, system uh, since then, and then we have young adults that are coming into the system. So we have uh, uh, three very uh, specific demographics with different uh, needs uh, and also uh, very different approaches that we need to utilize in terms of engagement uh, and be able to, uh, again, continue services. And we saw in Connecticut after um, the tragedy um, at the, the Sandy Hook uh, shootings in Newtown um, that there was an emphasis on trying to make sure that um, young people, children um, who are um, undiagnosed may have a mental illness to try to get them into treatment um, as soon as possible. So there was that um, that that. Uh, you know, focus on the young younger uh, residents in the state, but there are people all that are from all ages that need services here in the state. That um, are, are any populations falling through the cracks right now? Uh, absolutely, and and that is one uh, of the things that um, we're also trying to focus on. We one of the things that we did discover or uncover, um, I think it was uh, known, but uh, not to most is that people who are commercially or privately insured have a more difficult time uh, being able to access the array of services. We know through best practices and evidence-based practices that uh, approaching uh, uh, and supporting a person with a mental health or substance use condition is not just about the treatment. It's about um, being able to have uh, housing, to be able to have, uh, again, whole health, making sure that their primary care needs are met, uh, having purpose, being able to find employment, being able to go to school, um, and also being able to be part of their communities, uh, giving back to the community, uh, whether it's through volunteerism, but also in terms of taking advantage of recreational activities and anything that you and I would uh, want to do on a Saturday afternoon, uh, especially when it's uh, a Saturday like it's being promised this coming week. Uh, we would want to be out there and be able to participate in, in our community. And um, again, because of the array of funding streams and the way that uh, cuts happen, we don't look at the person holistically, and we're just looking at each of those components rather than looking at it from a, a, a comprehensive uh, approach. We're going to hear more from other uh, nonprofit service providers who um, offer and have treatment programs for people with mental illness and substance abuse treatment later in the show. I'm speaking with Luis Peretz, president and CEO of Mental Health Connecticut. If you have a question or want to join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Are you worried how recent budget cuts could impact the services you're receiving or a loved one is receiving? Again, you can give us a call, 860-275-7266. We'll be back at after a short break, this is where we live. This is 
where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Early in the legislative session, human service providers were bracing for significant cuts. The governor had proposed cutting almost $16 million in grants to nonprofits that provide mental health and substance abuse treatment programs. The final budget deal softened these cuts for the upcoming fiscal year, but that doesn't mean the programs won't be impacted down the road. Just yesterday, the governor's budget office announced income tax revenues much lower than anticipated and further cuts across the board are expected. In studio with me is Luis Perez, president and CEO of Mental Health Connecticut. Um, earlier, Luis, you said that um, you know obviously the state has to live within its means. So if there's a revenue problem, they need to cut spending. Um, when your revenue, when grants start to um, decrease each and every year, how are you seeing those um, impacts within your organization at Mental Health Connecticut? So I think it comes down to a quality of life issue. And, and we as, as residents of, of Connecticut need to uh, inform our legislative bodies uh, how um, we want uh, our dollars spent. And, um, yes, uh, good roads and good schools are all very, very important. Uh, but we also have three of the poorest uh, cities uh, in the country. And so uh, when you look at cutbacks, um, not just around the mental health uh, arena, um, but cutting on upon people that are already feeling oppressed, uh, that's going to lead to um, mental health and substance use issues. So from a public uh, policy perspective, we need to take a look at what is it that we want uh, our state to look like? How do we want to support not just um, um, the general population, but those who uh, are much more vulnerable? Um, and then make decisions in terms of how we're going to fund that system. Um, because otherwise, not only are you not serving those who are already identified, but you're going to miss opportunities in terms of being able to have um, prevention, early intervention, and uh, access uh, to those services once you have identified them. And how do you make that change if this has been um, the way it's been for so long? I mean, how, do you be, how, how can you become proactive to do that? Well, I think that the private nonprofit community has always been proactive. I think that we have always come to the table, been able to uh, sustain uh, services at, at our own peril. And I believe that uh, it is time for that partnership um, to be strengthened uh, between government and, and the private nonprofits. So, again, we can uh, have a system of care that we can all be proud of. Are you saying that the state could do a better job on collaborating with nonprofit providers? I think that we have uh, well-meaning people that uh, really do not want to have to uh, make these cuts and have uh, been forced to. Uh, again, we need to live within our means. As a taxpayer, I expect uh, my government to live within its means. As an advocate, I cannot necessarily agree in terms of where we're making the cuts. I want to take a quick call. Jessica from Waterbury. Jessica, you're on Where We Live. Hi. Um, I just wanted to make a comment that I am one that has benefited from state funding and at the time going through poverty and the things that uh, kind of oppressed, I heard that you think were being used, um, felt oppressed and, and didn't have um, support systems out there. Um, I am a success story because of some of that gov government funding and I do believe living within our means is, is necessary as well, but I, I don't think it's really recognize um, and acknowledge how much it is being benefited to the public, um, not only those who are unaware, uh, because there are so many that are unaware of the need, but um, also to those who are these success stories. And maybe if you can get some of those individuals um, as well to advocate, and I just appreciate you advocating, and I hope that it continues, and I, I really hope that we do not um, 
uh, are, do not have to suffer those budget cuts because they are really necessary. And again, that's a success story, so thank you. All right. Thank you, Jessica, for your call um, into where we live. I want to turn now to Heather Gates, president and CEO of Community Health Resources. Also, Ben Barnes, secretary of the governor's budget office, the Office of Policy and Management. They're both joining where we live. Um, Heather, tell me a little bit about Community Health Resources and um, how this latest budget deal impacts the services you provide. Good morning. I'm just delighted to join you. Uh, Thank you, Heather. Community Health Resources is a large, comprehensive behavioral health, primary care, supported housing, and foster care provider. We cover about half the state of Connecticut, and we serve over 20,000 children, families, and adults every year who suffer from serious emotional disturbances, serious mental illness, and serious substance use disorders. We work very closely with the state of Connecticut to deliver these services and are proud of our partnerships with all of our state funding agencies. And this latest budget deal, how does that um, impact what you provide to these clients? The the current budget deal impacts us in a couple of different ways. We have had um, some of our contracts reduced, most notably from DCF and from DEMAS, Uh, for both outpatient services as well as in-home services for children and families. Um, We are uh, expecting um, additional reductions as we move into the new fiscal year because we understand that uh, there will be uh, more cuts uh, coming down the road. Um, the, The way they impact us on a very basic level is every time we receive less funding for the services we deliver. Uh, And we're working with extremely uh, challenging and needy individuals. So every time we receive a a cut to our funding, we have to pull back um, some of our services. And uh, it also puts an already fragile uh, service system that has inadequate funding further at risk of then making even more reductions to services. When you say reduction services, are you meaning um, less staff, uh, less clients that you can accept? Uh, We're talking about a number of things. We're talking about fewer staff. We're talking about challenges with access to outpatient. Um, One of our most costly services is delivering is when our uh, psychiatrists and our advanced practice nurses, nurses see individuals for medication issues. And um, the reimbursement levels do not support those services. So then when we receive cuts, we have to pull back on that. And that means um, challenges with accessing those very critical components of treatment. I want to turn now to OPM Secretary Ben Barnes, who's also joining us uh, on the phone. Thanks for giving a call into the show, Ben. Yeah, my pleasure. So, Secretary Barnes, um, I wanted to ask you to respond to to Heather um, and Luisa Perez, also in studio, when um, obviously they say the state has to live within its means, but at the same time, um, if the vulnerable population is getting less services, I mean, some would argue that that's a, a, a core government function. So how do you balance the two? Well, um, clearly that's the, you know, the job uh, that we have before us. The I think it's a mistake, though, to think that, um, and I've certainly heard it from many fronts, including mental health advocates and, uh, and, and advocates for many other areas of government spending, that somehow there's enough there 
that we're spending so much money on stuff that doesn't impact anybody that we can cut from that and not cut from uh, services to the needy. Uh, and needy meaning people who don't have uh, financial resources or people who have uh, special needs for, for behavioral health services or uh, because of developmental disabilities or other disabilities or uh, because they're uh, abused or neglected children. There, there are whole hosts of uh, categories of people with needs that we serve, and that's really what we spend our money on in state government. I mean, we have some big other costs like uh, paying for uh, debt that we have that we've you know borrowed money in the past. Some of it to help those very same populations. We have uh, uh, unfunded pension obligations because basically we provided those services in the past without uh, actually setting aside money to pay for pensions, and we have to make up for the sins of our parents in that regard. Uh, and we have. Um, uh, but most of what we spend money on is services to the people with, with needs. The notion that we can cut a billion dollars out of a $20 billion budget, which is what we're doing next year, uh, and what we need to do uh, if, if we are to uh, you know, live within the Constitution and not have a very, very large tax increase, uh, in order to do that, there is no way to accomplish that without um, – uh, uh, making some cuts to human service agencies. I, I mean, that's what we spend our money on is taking care of people. Uh, and so if we're going to spend a, a significantly less money, we're going to have to make some cuts to those areas. I will tell you, though, that the areas of behavioral health and uh, child protective services and um, health care for the poor uh, and, and uh, services to people with disabilities, the sort of the big four areas, DEMIS, DDS, uh, DSS and DCF uh, have been um, uh, cut with a significantly lighter touch than other administrative areas, uh, public safety areas, uh, um, other areas that, that we spend money on with that, within state government. Uh, we've really uh, d done everything in our power to preserve state funding for outside agencies and state-provided services in those areas. Uh, Heather Gates, did you want to respond to Secretary Barnes about um, what he just said, that they're, they're doing the best they can and uh, funding for these um, specific agencies? Um, they've been able to uh, keep, keep coming through so that these clients of yours are able to be served. I mean, how can the, the state of Connecticut do a better job? I think they can do a couple things. First of all, I think it's important to recognize that there have been cuts to all the major state agencies that are responsible for working with those uh, with very serious problems living in the community. Um, Demas was cut over 54 million. DOC was cut over 67 million. DCF was cut over 38 million, and Judicial was cut over 48 million. Um, some of those reductions were taken um, through layoffs of state employees and. Um, we are, uh, our empathy goes out to those individuals. Um, but some of those cuts also were passed on to the private provider system. Um, uh, CSSD has eliminated substance abuse residential beds. Um, there have been programs for children uh, reduced or eliminated. Demas has also cut their, um, their grants to fund mental health and substance use services. So it, um, I understand how from um, the secretary's uh, perspective, uh, it may feel like that they, they, they see the whole picture, so they feel like they are trying to be um, lighter on the human service agencies. However, when you're in the field and you're seeing the need every day, um, it certainly doesn't translate that way. And there have been real and genuine cuts. 
um, I think what is really important to realize is you have an underfunded service system to start with when we went into these budget problems a couple of years ago. You then start squeezing it and reducing the base every year and adding additional cuts on top of that. And that ultimately results in fewer services, um, fewer interventions that keep people out of emergency rooms, out of hospitals, and out of jail. And so we're at a point where as we move into these next two years, which we know are going to be challenging, we d the service system is really at a point where it can snap. And so we need to start looking at more creative solutions to how um, private community-based providers can partner with the state and come up with better solutions to service delivery so that we are able to meet the needs of individuals coming to us for help um, without turning them away or the end result from a human toll will be quite significant. Secretary Barnes, do you want to respond to um, what Heather and Louisa from Mental Health uh, Connecticut had said earlier about um, these private organizations partnering with the state to come up with better uh, policy on um, how to serve this vulnerable community? Well, I, I you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to argue the point that we shouldn't, uh, uh, wouldn't it be better if we had more resources to spend on these needy populations? And, and frankly, if their argument is that we should raise more resources in order to spend more, I, I, I don't, um, uh, I don't d dismiss that that's a legitimate view, and many people hold that. Uh, and I certainly have uh, been in my position uh, uh, advocating for significant tax increases in order to avoid more. Uh, difficult cuts in the past, um, so I, 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 I'm sympathetic. Uh, I will say, though, that the the I think the argument to when you describe our human services system as underfunded, I think that may be so in the sense that uh, we have um, historically not given significant rate increases. Um, uh, we've only given them out once in a while, and it's been a long time. Uh, so that the 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 amount that they get paid for a day of service or a a unit of service, uh, depending on the type of contract that they have, uh, has been held steady for a long time, and that does put enormous pressure on the organizations that provide the services. But we've done that largely because the state has an enormous appetite for providing a broad array of services to a large group of eligible of of eligible citizens. So we end up having, in fact, one of the most uh, full service and complete arrays of of human services available in any state in the country. Uh, are um, uh, we provide? I mean, there are other states that do things better than we do, uh, one thing or another. Uh, but I think if you look at the total picture of services that are provided, uh, human service, human services that are provided at state expense in Connecticut, uh, we are among the richest in terms of the the, the level of support that we provide for uh, uh, community-based. Um, uh, care for supportive housing, for uh, K-12 education, for uh, Medicaid, for um, uh, uh, for any number of programs. We have a rich array of Medicaid waiver services, including services for people with developmental disabilities and um, uh, services for uh, people in their homes. We have an aggressive program for providing, uh, converting people from uh, institutional care into community-based care. Uh, we are um, 
we have been a leader in providing health insurance through uh, through Obamacare. Uh, we are a, we're a full service uh, uh, state that uh, has historically taken great pride, and I personally take pride in in the in the 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 extent to which we provide significant resources to take care of people who need who need that care. Uh, I know that we're that's less true, uh, a little bit less true uh, as a result of the uh, of the economic conditions we've been facing for the last few years. Uh, but I think it's still the case that we are a state that takes uh, uh, great care of the of the neediest. So I, while I, yes, we we have some funding problems, and I certainly appreciate that the organizations uh, struggle uh, to you know make payroll and meet their expenses and serve all the people they would like to serve. Uh, it's um, uh, I think that's a reflection of their ambition uh, and the uh, culture of caring in Connecticut that uh, is really quite extraordinary. Secretary Barnes, before um, we let you go, can we talk a little bit about the economic picture for Connecticut in the next couple of years? Just yesterday, your office sent out a statement saying revenue um, is much less than was expected for this fiscal year, and there may be um, the possibility that the state will be using about th- more than $300 million from the rainy day fund to plug that deficit. Um, could we see uh, further cuts, further deeper cuts to service providers such as community health, um, community health resources and mental health Connecticut? Uh, well, I, uh, the, the, I mean, the, the fiscal year ends in 10 days. So we are in, um, uh, we are very close to the end. Uh, we'll have one more uh, sort of final uh, look uh, before the accountants get to work on, on closing the books. Uh, in July, but we um, uh, we're very close to the end of the year. We have a, a pretty good handle on what our revenues are going to be. Uh, we're down uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, close to a billion dollars in revenue from what we expected a year ago. So we passed a budget. It was, you may recall, a budget that was passed at six in the morning or seven in the morning after a, uh, an all-nighter uh, in the House of Representatives. It was very narrowly passed. Uh, it included uh, uh, it included tax increases. It included um, uh, deep spending cuts, both, uh, and nobody liked it. Uh, and it was an extraordinarily challenging budget. We came in and uh, made some corrections of things, relatively minor, uh, last summer. Uh, but since that, since then, revenues that we anticipated then have dropped nearly a billion dollars. We've added back. We we deferred some property tax reform initiatives and some transportation initiatives by a few months to, you know, buttress our revenues this year. We made a lot of, of mid-year spending cuts that I'm sure the uh, other guests on your show have felt quite keenly. Uh, uh, and we, we haven't closed the full gap. So we've cut hundreds of millions of dollars in spending out, uh, but the, the revenue fell uh, even faster. So we have, we're going to end the year having to draw down um, some from our rainy day fund. We're doing everything we can as, as we cross the finish line to reduce that amount and to preserve our rainy day fund so that we can be um, uh, we have a little bit more flexibility going to next year and the year after, both of which promise to be very tight years as well. Revenues are growing. Uh, they're growing, but they're growing at a pace which is much slower uh, than the state of Connecticut has grown accustomed to uh, and a pace that is much too slow to accommodate the levels of service growth, the levels of payroll growth, and the levels of growth in our uh, necessary contributions to uh, our um, mostly our pension obligations. Um, can residents expect tax hikes in the future? Um, well, I, I know that this year there was very little appetite for tax increases in the General Assembly, uh, and that's why you see the uh, very austere budget that um, we're going to start on July 1st. 
uh, uh, what the appetite of the General Assembly uh, uh, in the future for tax increases is, um, is uh, uh, something I'm not in much of a position to speculate about. I, I certainly know that there's going to be um, uh, uh, some very difficult choices to make in the area of state budget uh, for a number of years to come uh, until such a time as we see um, uh, either a return to uh, a return to a faster-growing economy or uh, uh, until we get to a point where um, we've uh, gotten past the worst of our uh, significant growth in fixed costs, the pension debt and um, some of the other uh, uh, post-employment benefits obligations that we're uh, trying to pay down aggressively now. And Heather Gates, I wanted to turn to you quickly before we go to break. Um, looking at the economic future in Connecticut, I mean, how do your organizations, um, how do you brace for what's coming? In a couple of ways. One is we keep advocating uh, with the state to look at how to uh, really shift as much service into the private nonprofit community-based system as possible. We're a highly uh, cost-effective way of delivering services and we achieve excellent outcomes. So we think that uh, that is one of the very important strategies the state needs to adopt as a, a policy initiative uh, and move forward with that. Um, as an organization, what we do is we continue to uh, try and manage our expenses as tightly as possible. We look to all sources of revenue. Um, CHR is particularly effective at bringing in third-party revenue from both commercial payers as well as uh, Medicaid, Medicare, and um, also at times individuals who are able to uh, pay for some amount of their service. Um, and then we do a lot of fundraising in order to make up some of the gaps and continue to stay stable financially. Um, it is in the state's best interest to ensure that their private provider system is financially stable because in the end um, we are uh, the best solution they have to delivering highly effective cost um, efficient services uh, going forward. I want to thank Heather Gates. She's president and CEO of Community Health Resources. Also, Secretary Ben Barnes from the Governor's Budget Office, the Office of Policy and Management. Thank you both for joining Where We Live. Thank you both very much. Thank you. And, and after the break, we'll talk to another nonprofit who represents some of the most vulnerable residents in our state. This is Where We Live. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up on Thursday's show, think sex trafficking is just a problem overseas? Think again. The National Human Trafficking Resource Center reported more than 5,500 cases of trafficking in the U.S. last year alone. We'll speak with an international organization based in New Haven that helps survivors right here in Connecticut. We'll also talk to a former federal prosecutor who now works for a nonprofit dedicated to addressing this international problem. How are organizations helping those who've been exploited for sex or free labor? Find out more Thursday on Where We Live. 
Today, we've been talking about how the state budget that goes into effect July 1st will impact mental health and substance abuse programs in the state. In studio with me is Luis Perez, President and CEO of Mental Health Connecticut. And joining us now is Kathy Flaherty, Executive Director at the Connecticut Legal Rights Project, which provides legal services to people with mental illness. Thanks for joining Where We Live. Thank you so much for having me, Lucy. I appreciate being here. So we talked about a month ago, um, and you have a unique perspective um, in this discussion, uh, because not only do you advocate for residents with mental illnesses, you also are someone who lives with a mental illness. Can you talk about that? Uh, sure. Uh, my name is, um, I was diagnosed correctly my first year of law school at Harvard Law School. Um, I live with a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, um, and I was civilly committed to a psychiatric hospital my first year of law school. And when you're a first-year law student, you don't really realize that there are laws in place that can make you go to a hospital for treatment when you don't think you need it or you don't believe you need it and you don't want to go. Um, so I've shared the experience that a lot of our clients have of a system that at times doesn't always seem like it's working to connect with you but instead coerce you into doing certain things. Um, and that experience has really uh, shaped my advocacy because I do believe that people um, need to be reached where they're at and when people take the time to make those genuine connections, and forge those relationships. Um, the word we often hear from the providers is establish that therapeutic alliance. That makes all the difference in the world. When people feel like they're being listened to, like their points of view are being respected, they're a lot more likely to either engage in treatment or um, reach out for help. Um, but too often we see um, coercive measures taken where other people want to make decisions for you, want to impose uh, what they think is right on you. And that just produces a natural reaction where you tell me you want me to do something or you tell me you're going to do something. I'm going to react pretty negatively to that and not want to hear it. So, you know, for me, this is not really just a professional fight. It's a very personal fight. So tell me about the clients that you serve with Connecticut Legal Rights Project. Connecticut Legal Rights Project represents people who either receive DEMAS services or eligible to receive DEMAS services, which means we're talking about Connecticut's low-income residents who live with mental health conditions. Uh, we were formed back in 1990 as a result of a lawsuit against the state of Connecticut by people who were inpatients at Connecticut's large state hospitals because they didn't have access to the courts. So our core clients are the people who are inpatient at the state's facilities at CVH, at Greater Bridgeport Mental Health Center, at Connecticut Mental Health Center in New Haven. But we also work with people who are living in the community on areas related to their housing, on areas related to their civil rights, on access to education, employment, and treatment. You know, Connecticut has a Patient's Bill of Rights, which establishes a legal right to certain things as you are a recipient of services, and we enforce that. So we've been talking about how the latest budget impacts um, providers from, who give services for mental health and substance abuse treatment programs. Um, how is your organization being impacted by this latest budget? And then we know that we've got a billion-dollar deficit in the next couple of years as well. I don't want to think about the out year because <laughs> the out year is just too um, too far away to even contemplate. So just trying to deal with today. Um, the current budget, we have a 7% cut to our our state funding. Uh, we are funded a couple different ways. We get some funding through DEMIS, through the legal services line item. We also get some funding um, through the grants to cover the work that we do in the community. Um, so we are impacted the way all the nonprofit 
uh, providers are. Um, and like I said, we were established under a consent decree, so there's a certain amount of money that the state has to give us, but there's another um, pot of money that the state gives us through DEMAS that is discretionary on their part. And for the last several years, that source of money, which protects people's legal right to housing, um, has been consistently under attack. Um, and I do understand the challenge. You know, I heard Secretary Barnes speaking. Um, the challenge of making those numbers work. It's not easy. It is. I'm glad I only have to make my organization's numbers work. Um, and there are a lot of different things. I think one of the things, you know, hearing him acknowledge that this is an austerity budget, um, I'm glad to hear them finally using that word because that really is what it is. Um, I think he's right in us saying, um, you know, the message there isn't enough money and perhaps you can't make cuts from other things to fund the human services work. But that's why you've heard consistently from us, we need to explore the revenue options. Um, to just take those things off the table just doesn't make sense. Um, you know, the other funding that we get, and we get funding through the Connecticut Bar Foundation, just like all the other legal aid agencies uh, receive, and we've been told by them to expect a cut in that source of funding. So the thing that's really challenging leading an organization like ours is that every source of funding pretty much is decreasing. We are doing everything we can. You heard Luis talk about it. You heard Heather talk about it, is looking for other sources of revenue, diversifying our funding streams. So we do fee-for-service work. We get some money from attorney's fees. We are, you know, seek private donations. Um, but all of that can't make up for some of these incredibly large cuts that we're getting from our primary funders. And Luis Perez, President and CEO of Mental Health Connecticut, is also in studio. You wanted to respond? Yes. I, I, I want to reiterate and, and, and underscore um, something that has been said. Um, yes, we make every effort in seeking foundation dollars, uh, building corporate relationships, um, seeking individual donors. But again, as the uh, economic environment tightens, um, everybody tightens. Uh, so those dollars are not as available as they once were, and the competition, of course, is getting uh, greater and greater because there are more organizations um, seeking that uh, alternative funding. And I read that um, the state has uh, been providing grants to nonprofit providers to make up the difference in cost of care of what um, Medicaid then gives you for that care, but then they're saying there's an addition that Medicaid will be um, putting in, so that kind of justifies that the grants will decrease, but that's not the case? Well, w w the assumption has been that through um, the Affordable Care Act, uh, there would be a greater opportunity for people who have not uh, been able to be insured to be insured. And up to now, the state has um, taken um, the responsibility for providing uh, funding for, for that care. Um, the penetration, while Excellent in Connecticut. I think that um, the exchange is to be commended in terms of um, their uh, outreach efforts. Uh, the penetration has not been as, as large as we had anticipated. We also have, um, again, through the good hardness of, of Connecticut uh, and um, residents as well as uh, organizations, we have brought in um, um, a lot of uh, uh, people from other parts of the world uh, who are seeking um, um, asylum, and therefore are uncompensated or their ability to be able to uh, become uh, insured is, is nil uh, because often they are not documented. 
So um, so that also has uh, placed an extra strain in the last couple of years. Um, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We just got a tweet from a listener named Michelle. She says she has a son with bipolar disorder. Her psychiatrist costs $140 an hour. That psychiatrist does not take insurance. She writes, many mental health providers refuse insurance. Can you explain that? I think that that goes back to uh, what we were talking about in terms of uh, the private uh, private insurance and 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 the uh, uh, ability for people who are privately insured to be able to access. Uh, often, what happens is is that the uh, empanelment process is is very cumbersome. The uh, rates that the uh, uh, commercial insurance are are paying uh, are also not meeting uh, the cost uh, of doing business. Um, we here in the Connecticut uh, have parity uh, laws that require uh, insurance insurers to uh, uh, cover the same um, uh, types of services that they would cover for primary care, for substance use, and um, uh, and behavioral health. Yet we uh, are not enforcing those um, laws. And, and Kathy um, Kathy Flaherty, executive director at the Connecticut Legal Rights Project, you sat on the Sandy Hook Advisory Commission. That parity law, was that one of the um, um, consequences of the work that you had done? No, parity technically had already started to be institutionalized before Sandy Hook uh, happened and before our uh, commission released its report. But um, when I was speaking to your producer yesterday, really one of the things that drove us uh, in terms of the mental health sub- subcommittee of the Sandy Hook Advisory Commission was we did not want to feel constrained by the cost of the proposals we were making when we wrote our report. What we wanted to do was create a report and write a report that said, in an ideal world, if you wanted to create a mental health system that worked for everybody who was already in it, people who needed to access it, what would that look like? So that would include things like integrated care, which there is a move towards. It would include things like parity, which legally we have theory and reality are sometimes two very different things, um, that you would reduce discrimination against people living with mental health conditions. We hear a lot about stigma and anti-stigma campaigns. These campaigns have been running for decades. Um, There's a point at which you have to wonder, why, when do we stop talking about stigma and just talk about flat-out discrimination, which is what it is? When people can't return to school after they've been sick, there was a report on the Today Show yesterday about that. Um, when people get fired from jobs, when they disclose a mental health condition, that's the kind of stuff that really needs to stop. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. I want to take a quick call from Roger, who's calling from Norwich. Roger, we just have a couple of minutes. Tell us your comment, please. Well, I just want to say that mental health cuts are only good as long as they cut the psychiatric drug pushing by the mental health professionals, which is the worst part of the mental health system. And in actuality, this entire system is a mass poisoning system of the citizens of the state of Connecticut by the government. And um, it's been going on for 62 years, and it's really done 62 years of damage to the state and the nation. All right, Roger. Well, thank you for your comment. Um, I'm going to have Kathy respond to Roger's comment from Norwich. I think especially for those of us who are in recovery, a lot of us are finding that this diagnosis is not what we thought it meant 20, 25 years ago. I remember being told, take your lithium. It's just like insulin for diabetes, and you have to be on this the rest of your life. The reality is, is that 
um, that hasn't been the case. I spent a lot of years take, trying and taking a lot of different medications, experiencing a lot of adverse side effects, um, but a lot of it meant that I had to do the hard work of recovery. There was a long time where I thought, oh, I will just take a pill, this will be much easier, and I can get through every day and not really have to think about things. But I wasn't really uh, living, I was existing. Yes, I was going to work every day, but I was not happy. Um, I saw the example of a lot of my great friends um, who, you know, eat right, sleep enough, reduce their stress, do yoga, are mindful, run. And I said, okay, maybe I will give this a try and see if it works. And it turns out that it has, and knock on wood, um, I have not had to take any medication in a few years and I'm frankly doing better than I ever have. Um, so I think what we really have to do is look at all those options and all the different ways that people heal. I want to give the last word to Luis Perez, President and CEO of Mental Health Connecticut. A lot of this hour was spent on um, tightening resources. What's it going to mean to people that need help in the community? I mean, how do, where do we go from here in the state? Well, a- again, I think that where we need to start is is thinking about the individuals. And, and as Kathy so, so well has put it, um, no one approach is the right approach for anyone because we're all um, different human beings and, 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 and come from different places and have different strengths. But we do need to uh, have a system of care that works up upon those strengths, um, that not only uh, addresses the needs uh, of those who are doing well, but also addresses the needs of those who will be identified in the future and, and be able to um, access the services that we have uh, been able to enjoy up to now. Uh, I don't think it's a... Uh, uh, a matter of uh, of entitlement. I think it's a matter of what's the right thing uh, for us to do for Connecticut residents. I want to thank Luis Perez, President and CEO of Mental Health Connecticut. Also, Kathy Flaherty, Executive Director of the Connecticut Legal Rights Project, which provides legal services to people with mental illness. Thank you so much for coming on. The time goes quickly. It does. Thanks for having us. Our show is produced by Lydia Brown and Tucker Ives. Our technical producer is Kion Wolf. You can continue this conversation on our website, wmpr.org slash where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>